Well, chapters begin and chapters end. About 12 years ago, almost, we arrived here and I was serving at First Presbyterian Church and I began to wear my clerical collar. Hence, today, the chapter's ending with my clerical collar. So if you've never seen me preach before and some of you are here and you have not, I don't usually do this. And for those of you who are here from Elam and you're hearing me preach, I hope it makes you feel guilty. Oh, no, no, wait a minute, that wasn't in my notes. But it's the end of a story, an end of a chapter for us. Of course, the other reason is <laughs> all my shirts are packed away so I can't get to them. I just want to tell the truth so we don't all have guilt. But we all have a story. And uh, some are more exciting than others. I, I don't happen to have a very exciting story. Uh, when I'm overseas, and I've just come back from my trip overseas, I introduce myself as a boring Canadian. And when they laugh at me, I also remind them I have to grade them, so they listen up. But in these ca- accounts, each of us keeps, there are certain things that we don't share. And I want to share, amongst other things today, two things that I have never shared with anyone. But relax, it's not earth-shattering. I'm not a mass murderer, and, or I don't work for ISIS or anything like that. But the first thing that happened to me uh, years ago was when my father died. He was, he was uh, 86. He had a stroke. I think it was 2001. And uh, he was on life support, and I had to be the one to give, him, give permission to unplug him, which is not always pleasant. So once my sister got there, we unplugged him, and the machines began to tell us what was really happening. And when it was over, I remember a thought that came to my mind. Very profound. It, it stuck with me. I said, there goes a man whose love I never felt. Now, I'm not some sort of psychotic because of that. That's not an issue. I have no doubt that my father loved me. There was no question about that. I had no doubt that he was proud of what we were doing and how our life went. And, but he just couldn't demonstrate it. That was part of what shaped me as a father and how I wanted my girls to feel my love. And if you watch us today, if we're Skyping or phoning, we always end our conversations with, love you, love you, that sort of stuff. Or when I greet them, I'll often give them a little hug and a kiss. I want them to feel my love. But at that moment, at that time, at my father's death, that thought came to my mind and I haven't shared it with anyone until today. To feel the love of Father God is foundational to the Christian experience. But sometimes we need a human experience to tap into that. So I have worked hard in my life to be a catalyst for that felt love, both with my family and with the things that I do. Now, the second thing that I have shared with people was an event that happened in our life related to our youngest daughter, Janelle. About seven years ago, almost, uh, Miriam and I were away for the day and we came back and she'd moved out with her boyfriend. And a few days after that, and she went incommunicado, which means she wasn't speaking to us, which to me was very, very difficult. 
So four, three or four days after that fact, I can remember vividly being on my knees, sobbing and crying out to God, begging him to bring her back now. And a thought came to my mind. If this is how much I love my daughter, think how much more God loves her and me. I am Janelle, and uh, I, I've grown up in a extremely supportive Christian family. Um, my dad is a pastor, and uh, we regularly regularly attended church when I was younger. Um, um, I also struggled with the pressures and expectations of being a pastor's kid. Um, I didn't really know how to handle the pressure, and I found it easiest to be a people pleaser. Um, I had a childlike faith, and I didn't really comprehend um, how important it was to give my whole life to God. Um, rather, rather than looking from God, I looked to my family. By the time I was 16, I really didn't care at all about church. I didn't understand the difference between a personal relationship with God and, uh, and religious affiliations. Um, and within that year, I met a guy, um, and I let him sweep me off my feet. Uh, I turned from God completely, I denied his existence, and, uh, and I just cut out all aspects of Christianity in my life. I put my faith in this guy instead of putting it in God. And, guy had nothing to do with Christianity and he had a really negative opinion towards my family as well. Once I graduated high school, I moved in with the guy. Uh, I cut all connections with my family because he convinced me it was for the best. The sadness and guilt definitely stuck with me. Uh, I missed monumental family events. Um, I was scared to stand up to him. And shortly after I moved in, he started to abuse me, um, verbally, mentally, sexually. Uh, he would threaten me, insult me, degrade me. I wasn't allowed to cry or show fear. Um, I experienced multiple pregnancy scares. Um, I closed off from everyone and I figured this was what I chose uh, and I have to live with it. I felt like the relationship I was, if I, if I left the relationship I was a quitter, even though I ignored God, he never left me. I would find myself repeating memory verses that I learned when I was younger. Um, it was like God was tapping me on the shoulder. And he continually, continually worked in my heart, even though I had stepped away from him. Um, through this, God really showed me that, that my family is still important. Um, I slowly started opening communication lines with them. And God used these brief times together with my family to remind me how much I'm loved and how important I am for Him. This past July, God really placed 1 Corinthians 3, or 13, uh, 4 to 8 on my heart. As love is patient, love is kind, it doesn't envy, it doesn't boast, it is not proud, it does not dishonor others, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices in the truth. It always protects, it always trusts, it always hopes, it always perseveres. Love never fails. This verse really nagged at me. 
God was showing me that the relationship that I was in was not what He wanted for me. And God definitely helped me make the decision to call my family. I went for breakfast with my dad and asked him to help me get out of the relationship. My family rallied around me, supported me, protected me, and showed God's love through every action. It was November that I made the personal decision to give my life back to Christ. I know that without Jesus dying on the cross for me, life is bleak and dark. God's taught me an extraordinary amount over the past few months. Although I often stumble in my faith walk, the knowledge that Jesus died on the cross, that his love for me is deeper than I can imagine, that, uh, that he has a great plan for my life, and although there's there will be great challenges, I know that he will never leave me. Throughout the past few months, God's shown me things that I enjoy are gifts from Him. The fact of spending time with friends is an amazing opportunity to show His love through actions. Having the opportunity to go to Cape Henry Bible School this September and continue, and continue to strengthen my relationship with Him excites me. Um, throughout all my life, Philippians 1.6 has definitely been a powerful verse for me. Um, and it's a great reminder that God will never stop working my life. Um, being confident in this. He who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. I've given my life to Jesus and that excites me and that is the only the beginning of the story. Didn't get the story because the sound's not too good. Basically, she walked out, but she knew her family was supporting her. And uh, she went through some abuse and uh, came home. And uh, she's now working on a mission on the West Coast. She's somewhere up on the Alaska Panhandle in a boat with Coastal Messenger, it's called. And uh, it's been a miracle. But that story took almost five years to resolve. But she came home. So think how much more God loves you. If I could put you into that position I was when I was on my knees, uh, you would understand that passion God loves you more than you can imagine. The third episode I have not shared. I'm getting a bit of boom here. Could you give me a little bit less? Um, a few years ago, while Janelle was still estranged, still out of our house, I had to go through heart surgery. Uh, my wife says I'm not supposed to talk about it, so this is my last chance. Write it down. Last year. Um, and when you're wheeled down into the uh, operating room, you, lots of interesting thoughts go through your mind, including, why does that guy have so much hair in his nose? <coughs> um, but my, <laughs> That's not in my script. Uh, I better move away from that. Uh, the surgeon has said there's a 99.99% chance nothing would go wrong, but that's, that's okay. But you're still on the way down, you pray. And basically you pray the common sense prayer, and that is, Lord, guide the hands of the surgeon. And he did. But the other one was, and I've never shared this, Lord, if my death will bring Janelle back to you and her family, I'm prepared to die. And I was. I don't say it as a hero. I simply was. Because I know where I'm going. But she came home. Love brings with it sacrifice. The final thought here in my introduction, I'm just getting warmed up. I, I um, told Philip LaPath that he had to go at noon. I said, I'll just be halfway through, so relax. 
My final thought related to, into this father's story was the power of patience. With Janelle, we were greatly, we were, we were proactive. Miriam and I made a point of being a presence in her life. We would show up where she worked to have a cup of coffee, just to say hello, and then we began to take her out for breakfast and then drive her to work. So we gradually rebuilt that. That is a very powerful part of parenting. Kids, if you don't know that, your parents have already got you, so give up. But what I realize in all of these episodes is, God, is that God wants you to know and to feel his love. God's love, God loves you and he wants you to be more, he wants to, to express that love to you more than you can imagine. And he was prepared to sacrifice his son for you and God is waiting for you and for some of you to respond, some of us to mature and for all of us to tune into his voice and his purpose. Now, here's the reason we stayed in Winnipeg. It wasn't for the weather. Okay, I am sending pictures in February when I'm mowing my lawn back to everybody here that I know. Uh, by the way, we do mow our lawns in February and dig our gardens. I can say to some degree it is the people, of course, and I can say most certainly it's the students that I've gotten to know. But the reason is we wouldn't leave was because I said I wanted that relationship with my daughter right and reconciled before we left the city. So we stayed. And she did tune into our voice and God's voice. And for this, it worked. And she knows now God loves her and so does her family. Now, we have technological backup in our church. So if you're interested in following along where I go in the scripture, it's on page 943. That's the other book in front of you, in the pew rack in front of you. So if you open it up and it's music, that's not it. But, it, but I'll be touching on some of the verses in 1 John. 943, 1 John chapter 4, right at the end of the Bible. Almost. The Bible speaks about this kind of love, the sacrificial love. So I want to talk about three things. God, the love comes from God. Second, we know this because of the life, death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus Christ. And third, he loved us first. Love comes from God. We know this because of what Christ did, and he loved us first. Now, I heard some interesting talk on the radio not so long ago about this particular passage, which was quite incomplete. Now, when you're involved in the high demands of, of the, the degree I did for my theology, you want to make sure the context is right, and your radar goes off very quickly when it's not. But the minister in question who was talking on the radio talked very nicely about the love of God based upon this passage, but she did not go to how we know this love. So you need to set the context. Love comes from God, there is no doubt. Not our idea about love, but his love. So in verse 7 in 1 John 4, it says, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. And so the person being interviewed spoke eloquently about this verse. This is the love of God, the Father in heaven. It's a love that we cannot fully understand, but it's a love that is backed up with the intentional actions of Christ. It is a love that is all-giving and knowable to everybody. And we can experience this love as this passage of Scripture says, as this passage of Scripture reveals. But it is not the love that we define. It is a love authored, 
authored and offered through God's sacrificial acts. Now, in my personal life, I repeat, I had no doubt that my father loved me, but he really didn't demonstrate it in a really overt way. So I couldn't really fully comprehend that love. But in this passage, love comes from God. The fullness of God's love available to all of us is the source and the catalyst of how we are to live and act with each other. It is all founded upon God's love. For example, if I had sought to advance my ministry career and not my daughter's best interest, we probably would have moved away from the city and left her, and that would have changed the story. But my love for, the do- for my daughter, driven by God's love for me and for her, prevented me from abandoning her in any perceived or actual way. And I would like to think that there are a few things that you do right in a parent's life, and I think Miriam and I did that one right. Janelle needed to have the presence of parents who loved her so that she might know that God loved her. And if you heard it, she had experienced that while she was away from us. And we didn't really know that. If we miss the next part of this scripture, which is verse 9, we miss the greater experience of God's love. And this is what that person missed. This is how God showed his love to us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. That last phrase simply means that our relationship would be made right and whole with God. The person on the radio left that out. They didn't get there. At least I didn't hear it. And this is the crux of the message in the experience of God's love. God sent his only son that we might live through him. Christ died not only to show God's love, but also to draw us into the full and real love of God. God took the initiative, and God takes the initiative. He's doing it now. I find this an interesting and one of the tougher things to explain to people who do not come from a Christian experience or might have been taught things about Christianity that aren't accurate. We start with God. We don't start with our concepts of God. We start with what he has to tell us. And this is where we take a leap of faith. But often what I hear is how those who have no concept of God's love known in Christ speak about, known in, specifically known in Christ, how they speak about God's, their concept of love. And it's an interesting conversation. But love that only comes from us towards God is incomplete. It's not how you approach God. It's not how we approach God. It's that he approached us first. And that's the huge part about what the scripture teaches right from the beginning. You can't change the fact. And if you do not, if you miss this, you miss the intent of God. It is not up to waiting. He is, he is not up there waiting for us to love him. He already loves you. That's what this is all about. And this is evident in that God loved us so much that he sacrificed his one and only son, Jesus Christ. Now, think about that in human terms. Would you let your child die for somebody else? Just keep that thought. To put it into divine terms means no matter how much you love your children or anyone else in your life, God loves you immeasurably more. His son 
died for you. And we need to step into that thought process to begin to realize who Jesus is and what he really did for each of us and the world. Verses 13 through 15. This is how we know that we live in him and he in us. He has given us his spirit, capital S, Holy Spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. This is an eyewitness account. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in them and they in God. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God's love is unknowable until we come to terms with what this teaches about Jesus Christ. That's what the scripture is all about. This author knew this personally. The love is disconnected from us if we do not have the spirit which comes through our faith in Christ. So saying that you love God is virtuous, but missing the fact that this writer and others in the Bible speak about misses what it's all about. Just loving God in a one-way relationship is not what the Bible teaches. We are in a two-way living relationship that God started. And we are invited into his love and life eternal because of what he did in Jesus Christ. This writer says that as we acknowledge that Jesus is the Son of God, then and only then does God live in us and we in him. The only way, we, we, the only way to experience the love of God, to feel that love of God, is to accept what he did for us. The only way we accept and acknowledge Jesus Christ for who he truly is is that, we, is that we just come to surrender to him and listen to his words. So a one-way experience is incomplete. A two-way experience is what God initiated. He started it before we were born. The relationship is this in verse 19. God took the initiative... God's love is real, and we know this because of Jesus' life, death, resurrection, and ascension. Verse 19 sends to a large degree. Verse 19 summarizes the life and purpose of Jesus. We love because he first loved us. He first loved us. The Bible unlike any other source, says, in the beginning, God. That's the first phrase, the first theme, the first statement. Our relationship with God, our experience of his love begins with him right from the outset. It does not begin with us. He first loved us. So in some sense, some of you might be struggling with this experience of love, You might be wondering, where is God? You might be thinking, why is it always up to me? Or why can't I do what I want and everything is okay? Or why do I have to worry about my life and my death and such questions like this? God took the initiative from the beginning. He's got those answers. But the question I put to you may not be any easier. Why not look to the source of love 
and security and respond. Because over and over again, I make the point. This is an invitation. This is not a law. This is not a dictate. Jesus invites. So if you do not understand the initiative of God in his love, in his son, in his sacrifice, in his intent for you because you found other reasons or other thoughts, then take another look at this. Even if you've been a Christian for decades, like me. Take another look at this. This has survived the scrutiny and deceit and the scholars and the attacks for centuries. And it's still true. Sometimes this type of thinking is a bit offensive to your intellect. I can say that now because I have a doctor of ministry, so I'm supposed to be intellectual. But I have three daughters and a wife, and that phrase doesn't cut it around the house. But it can be offensive to your intellect. It's offensive to your way of thinking these things through. It confronts many things that your family, even your culture, might have told you. So welcome to the club. You know, we got this so-called wide-open door in Canada where we can believe what we want, but we still have a culture. We still have families. We'll have stuff that we have to work through. We all have to sort this stuff out, so we need to take a look at this again and understand God took the initiative first, locked it in with Jesus Christ, and asks you simply to respond to his invitation. It doesn't begin with your home or your family or your culture or your religion. In case you haven't noticed, my family was simply riddled with sarcasm. I know I've hidden that well. That was a joke. I thought I'd get more laughs. There be a lot of Presbyterians. Don't let the caller put you off. But God loves you, and he showed it in the person of Jesus Christ, in everything of who he is and what he did. And he loves you first. So turn to God on his terms. Not mine, not your culture, not even your parents. This is the challenge because we are to respond to his invitation. We don't build a ladder up to God. We don't have to prove our worth to him. We are to see his love in Christ and know that he loved us first. It's a done deal. You surrender to Christ. You don't have to gamble. You don't have to worry. You don't have to weigh in one side or the other. That's what this is all about. So a father's story. This father's story began before his children were born. It began in the love of God. It began with a father who I did love and who loved me, but who never demonstrated it, so it wasn't reciprocal. But he's a good man, a man of immense integrity. Don't let me ever undermine that. He just couldn't demonstrate it. But it doesn't undermine, never did undermine my story. Just simply learned from it and moved on. But it began in my life because God loved me first. It began and became part and parcel of our family life that was fruitful because Janelle returned because of his love. It began because beyond your imagination, God loves you more than you can ever think. A 
Otherwise, Jesus wouldn't have come. My story arose out of a pain that led to a simple revelation that if I loved my daughter this much, how much more did God love her and me and you? She came back. My story includes a quiet prayer that spoke of a willingness to die, if that's what it took, because I know where I'm going. For is it not better that we who know the love of Christ sacrifice than pursue a career? And the answer is yes, because this is what Jesus shows us in the Bible. The greatest power of a father is patience. And I learned that working with Canadian students because I used to get phone calls when I worked at University of Victoria in a similar ministry uh, from parents who wanted to make sure that their child were being brought into the church. So I was the one there sort of trying to lasso them and bring them in, and it worked a fair amount. But the greatest power that you have as a parent is patience. And this is what God demonstrates as our loving Father. He's waiting and waiting and waiting. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us first and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. There ain't no connection without Jesus. This father's story is we stayed here for our daughter so that she would return to her Lord, to her faith, and to her family, and she did. The story for you is God is waiting. He's waiting for you to come to him through Christ. He's waiting for you to return to him in faith. He's waiting for you to surrender to him because he loves you and you are his children.